Guys, do you remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. Blue Chew, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as the pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants that extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. For instance, you know, a lot of guys talk a big game, but if you're a one-and-done kind of guy, Blue Chew can even help you get to round number two. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for all our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKED ON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E CHU.com. Promo code LOCKED ON. L O C K E D O N to try Blue Chew for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring. You are Locked On Buccaneers, your daily Tampa Bay Buccaneers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, guys? David Harrison here, one of the hosts of the Locked On Bucs podcast. And on this episode, I am joined by three of the other NFC South Locked On podcast show hosts as we continue our ultimate divisional crossover by looking closer at the 2019 Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what is in store for the team with the coolest coach in the National Football League. But before we get to that, let's go ahead and bring in the fellas. Hey guys, Ross Jackson here. Always a pleasure to be uh, with my good friends here. I'm very excited to be back and uh, chatting with the Bucks fans about the Bucks yet again. Uh, thanks everybody very much. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. And of course, you can check me out as the host of Locked On Saints. Aaron Freeman here, the host of Locked On Falcons, and I'm on Twitter at Falcfans. Hey, what's going on, Bucks Nation? Bill Rossetti here of Locked On Panthers. How you guys doing? Good to be with the rest of the division crew here. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Bill underscore Steady if you want Panthers news or even some college basketball news. I'll just throw that out there. I haven't touched on that in my plugs this week. <laughs> hey, of course, and March Madness is right around the corner, so so no better time to start getting ready for that college, those uh, college basketball brackets. If you're like me and you don't pay attention to college basketball at all until it's time to finish filling your brackets, and then you kind of get down to the point where you're just – you're just picking the coolest name. You know what I mean? You're looking at like NBA mock drafts and like, oh, this guy going in drafts. So I'll just pick his team. Why not? And then you're miserable by by the end of the first round. So, um, But before we get fully into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, let's recap a little bit of what happened in 2019. Uh, Buccaneers finishing 7-9 and nine in third place in the NFC South. Thanks to that, thanks to that Week 17 loss to the Atlanta Falcons at the hands of uh, Jameis Winston's final pick six of his season, perhaps his Buccaneers career. Um, only team in the NFL... Uh, with a winning road record to not make the playoffs in the 2019 season. I thought that was an interesting little tidbit of information. Third in the NFL total offense, first in passing, 24th in rushing. Finished 18th in yards per game allowed on defense, surrendered the third most passing yards, and uh, gave but gave up the least amount of yards rushing. So again, a team of, of two sides. And gave up the third against with 449. However, seven of those touchdowns did come by way of pick sixes thrown by Jameis Winston. Uh, had the league leader in sacks and Shaquille Barrett, league's passing leader in Jameis Winston with 5,109 yards, 33 touchdowns, 
and 30 interceptions, making his own 30 for 30 special in the 2019 season. And something, guys, I was talking about uh, prior to recording with you guys, another interesting fact is 24 of those 30 interceptions came at home, and that does include five in London. So maybe maybe discount that, throw that out of there. But even still 19 of what would then be 25 of his interceptions came in Raymond James Stadium. So, gentlemen, uh, we've my audience has has heard plenty of what I have to say, what James, my co-host, has to say about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 2019 season. Uh, let's give them the perspective from around the NFC South. Bill, let's go ahead and start with you uh, covering the Carolina Panthers. What did you think of the Buccaneers going through the 2019 season? And where do you see kind of the, some of their key needs entering the 2020 offseason? Yeah, the Buccaneers are definitely a uh, an interesting team to watch, so to speak. And you hit the nail on the head. It was the uh, the 30 for 30 special, as you alluded to, for Jameis Winston. I mean, that, that's just crazy to think that a guy can uh, throw for 5,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, and have 30 interceptions. Like, I've never, you know, we, we hadn't seen this kind of season, you know, a 30 and 30 season in about 30 years, funnily enough. But, you know, Jay, it's tough, too, because this is such a, a really good offense. Uh, I was so happy to see the, the breakout for Chris Godwin, fellow Penn Stater, by the way. I, I like to keep mentioning that just because uh, Chris Godwin is my boy. Um, so really happy to see that. And then, you know, Mike Evans obviously was doing his thing until he got hurt. So, you know, the production is there. But the the talent is there. It's just obviously the Jameis Winston factor was a huge a huge detriment to this team, and really was the big reason they uh, that they were held back this year. And it was just so fitting that a Jameis Winston pick six ended the season and gave him his thirtieth interception and sent the Bucks to seven to nine and actually cost them. Uh, second place in the division, funnily enough. It was it was all it, it was just a roller coaster of a ride with the Buccaneers season, and you know it really shapes up for what should be a, uh, an interesting off season. You know, obviously the top of it is going to be Jameis Winston, but there's some other pieces that we'll touch on. But um, you know, Bruce Arians, you definitely like what he's doing in Tampa Bay. I think he's starting to build something. I think that defense is. You know, there's some pieces that need to be there, but it's a unit that's starting to come together. I think, you know, we, and I've said this with some of the other teams, and so I'm going to sound like a broken record on this, but I think the Buccaneers are going to be a really fascinating team to watch this offseason, particularly when it comes to who the quarterback is going to be. Are they going to pay Jameis Winston all this money? Are they going to go after somebody else? Um, you know, a lot, a lot of factors in play, but I think you kind of saw last season that uh, the pieces are starting to be there, and you know it definitely helps that they have really great coaching. Like I said, Bruce Arians is done well. Um, Byron Leftwich is an up-and-coming coach in his own right. So this this is a, an intriguing team. I think I think people need to uh, need to actually take a minute to look at this team and be like, wow, like you know they they're starting to build something here. You know, don't be don't be too quick to discredit them. Uh, so far. Yeah, and Bill, and you mentioned Chris Godwin, uh, one of my favorites as well, coming out of the draft or coming into the draft when he was coming out of Penn State. I mean, that Rose Bowl game that he put down, just the gutty performance, even though Penn State lost that game, that right there sealed it for me. I was in love with him as a, as a player uh, from that point on. And then when he got drafted by the Bucs there in the third round, it was for one, I was amazed that he made it to the third round. But the fact that the Buccaneers got him, I've uh, been keeping a close eye on him ever since. 
And actually this week we replayed for our listeners, our interview with him last year, where we kind of talked about him potentially having a thousand yard season. And he was, you know, he, he he's a pretty humble guy, but he's like, that would be great if we can make that happen. And fortunately it was able to happen. Talks of him perhaps signing an extension this off season. He does have one year left on his rookie deal. So we'll see if that comes through this year or if the Buccaneers and, and Chris and his agent uh, decide to wait till next season. Uh, but Ross talking about the quarterback, and I don't want you to give me a definitive answer yet on whether or not you would sign James Winston. Aaron, that goes for you, Bill, as well. I am going to have you guys give your answers on that. But Ross, you're representing the division champs here, the New Orleans Saints. And we talked about with, with, with your episode on Monday about what these teams need to do to kind of challenge the Saints for that divisional crown. I have this question for you. If, if, if it's not Jameis Winston, again, don't tell us if you want it to be Jameis Winston, but if it's not Jameis Winston, looking at the quarterback landscape and who's available, whether it be in the draft, whether it be in free agency, what quarterback can this team add to its current roster that would scare you into, into thinking the Buccaneers might be coming for that crown? Oh, that's a great one. Um, I'm going to go to the draft and I'm going to name somebody that's not necessarily a top guy. You know, the top guys being Joe Burrow, Justin, uh, Justin Herbert. But I think for me in the draft, Jordan Love would be somebody that would kind of give me pause. Uh, he's a yeah, he's a guy that consistently gets those you know Patrick Mahomes comparisons. Big guy has some athleticism, has some mobility, but that arm with those threats like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Could you just imagine weekly connections between Jordan Love down the field to Chris Godwin? Like I can see it so clearly, and then to have all of that talent under a guy like Bruce Arians, who has that reputation of being a quarterback whisperer, who has taken a guy like, let's look at maybe, I guess Carson Palmer is a pretty good example of somebody that, you know, really only put maybe six games on tape when it came to him coming out of college and then turned him into, you know, essentially somebody that could make a claim uh, as a Hall of Famer, but certainly a a fantastic uh, quarterback for that franchise. And so when you look at all the things that he's done in the past and you give him somebody that's young talented athletic that has the arm talent and i mean arm talent not just as arm strength but i mean ball placement everything else that goes along with that and somebody that has clear flaws but those flaws being flaws that are fairly coachable and you give him a coach like bruce arians he's somebody that would worry me wearing a bucks uniform next year or the year after if you give him some time to develop Awesome. Yeah. And James and I have been on record on the show many times throwing our support behind Jordan Love. Unfortunately, it looks like the Indianapolis Colts are probably going to swoop. Well, not really swooping. They're already in front of the Buccaneers to pick number 13 and take him. He's Jordan Love is consistently being mocked to the Colts. And I cannot see, honestly, I can't fathom a universe where Jordan Love is not drafted by the Colts at this time. Of course, free agency and stuff will help answer a lot of those questions. Uh, there's been some speculation that if James Winston hits the open market, maybe the Colts sign James Winston. And if you drop 25 plus million dollars on James Winston to be your franchise quarterback, why would you go and draft Jordan Love in the first round? So that's all stuff for, for future talk. Uh, Jordan Reed actually over at, at the draft network, our, our buddies over there recently released his 5.0 mock draft and did two rounds of it and actually gave the Buccaneers, Andrew Thomas an offensive tackle out of Georgia because Jordan Love went number 13 to the Colts surprise, surprise. And then Jacob Eason in the second round. And that's an interesting prospect, but I feel like if Jacob Eason is the answer, then uh, a veteran quarterback is probably starting 2020 while Jacob Eason is, is developing behind that quarterback. And Aaron, talking about veteran quarterbacks, right? You have, it's, it's funny how the NFC South has gone from being the division that has maybe the best stable of quarterbacks in the league 
to now where three-fourths of these teams have major quarterback questions. Even if Jameis Winston returns, it's still a major quarterback question on which version of Jameis Winston is going to return, whether it's the 5,000 yards and 33 touchdowns or the 30 interceptions or both. Um, Cam Newton, obviously, and Bill, I know we'll get into more of that tomorrow. And then obviously the questions surrounding Drew Brees and his retirement, Teddy Bridgewater and his contract. But from where I stand, Aaron, I really view the Falcons and Bucks as kind of the closest to, to if you compare team to team, the Falcons and Bucks seem closest to each other. And it's fitting because they both finished seven and nine. Um, you have a lot of previous Buccaneer players in it or uh, members in Atlanta with Raheem Morris. You know, you got guys like Dirk Cutter. And then I kind of look at the rosters. We got, we got Mike Evans. You have Julio. We have OJ Howard. You've got Austin Hooper. Deion Jones, Quan Alexander before, and now Devin White. So, I mean, the rosters kind of line up about as much as you can probably expect two NFL rosters to line up. These teams finished two and three. As we already stated, week 17 was the tiebreaker. You guys took that game, took that tiebreaker. What is it about the Buccaneers that you feel like is going to hurt the Falcons' chances of holding on to that second spot, potentially earning that first spot? And what is it about the Falcons you think that matches them up well to keep the Buccaneers in that bottom half of the NFC South? Well, I think, you know, it's a little bit of a Captain Obvious answer, but it, it is the quarterback position. Because I think when you look at this Bucks team, you know with Bruce Arians, he can produce high-powered offense if he can get stable quarterback play. And we saw the highs of Jameis this past season, um, but we also saw the lows with the, the turnovers. And, you know, if you can get that sort of potential, that explosiveness with those weapons that they have, you know, that's a high-powered offense, but they always seem to be, you know, shooting themselves in the foot with those mini turnovers and you, you flip on the other side of the ball, you have, you know, a defense that really turned itself around uh, under the first year of Todd Bowles. You saw them make big investments in their front seven in the, in the off season with additions like Devin White and Shaq Barrett and, and Dominic and Sue. And then they went heavy with the youth movement in the secondary and it seemed to pay off for them, uh, particularly in the second half of the season when, uh, guys like Jamel Dean and whatnot. I know, David, when we did our crossover, you know, I think, you know, shortly before that Thanksgiving game between the Falcons and the Saints, um, you know, you guys were talking about Jamel Dean and sort of the need to get him more involved. And so I think if the Bucks can continue to make strides in the secondary, because we talked about it on Monday's episode with the Saints and sort of some concerns about their secondary, and Ross mentioned it, when you play in this division, if you can't stop the pass, that's going to be very, very problematic for you. And that was really a major issue for the Bucks these last couple of years under my favorite Bucks defensive coordinator, Mike Smith, when they couldn't really do much on defense in some of these recent seasons. So I think really for the Bucks in terms of their Falcons matchup, if they can continue to make strides in the secondary, Julio Jones has been a guy that's killed them over the years. They started to do a better job against him adding some more size with guys like Dean and, and Carlton Davis. And that's given them, they fared a little bit better against Julio this past season than they had in previous years. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting um, with this Bucks team because I think they're making strides. I think if they can get their quarterback situation right, I, I think there's reasons to, to believe that they have the stability from the coaching staff, something that the Falcons don't necessarily have. And that was something we talked about in yesterday's episode. You know, I, I think the, the arrow is pointing up for the Bucks if they can fix the quarterback situation. Awesome. Yeah, and, and the quarterback position is something we're going to keep talking about, and we'll talk about again later in this show. But real quick, I want to shift over to the defense, and and that's one of the things that leaving the season has been, has been talked about a lot is the rise of the defense early on in the season. 
It didn't look so hot. I mean, going back to that first loss, well, the second loss, rather, against the New York Giants in the, in the 2019 season, really just a defensive meltdown in the second half allowed Daniel Jones and the Giants offense to get back into it, even after losing Saquon Barkley, if you can believe it. But then towards the middle of the season, really after Seattle, like the Seattle game was kind of like rock bottom for that Tampa Bay defense, uh, specifically Jamel Dean. But they came back from that game resilient, ready to go, studying harder, practicing harder. And they didn't necessarily win right out the gate after that Seattle game, but they eventually kind of got things going to where the defense became a strength and really kind of helped overcome some of those turnovers that were coming from the quarterback position. But Buccaneers fans have seen this before. Media members have seen this before, specifically the the 2016 version of the Buccaneers defense where they finished the season strong. The team went on a five-game win streak. A lot of it pretty much seems the same. And I want to ask each of you guys, After witnessing the way that this Buccaneers defense was able to play in the second half of the season, and Ross, I'm not sure how much you really got in there, Bill. I'm not really sure how much you really witnessed it because the two teams didn't play during that stretch where the Buccaneers defense really kind of woke up. Uh, But Ross, I do want to start with you. Do you think that it's possible that we're seeing a little bit of a of a of a mirage, or is it real that this Buccaneers defense is is actually going to come into the 2020 season off of that strength that they ended up with in 2019? Uh, or like I said, or is it is it just a false positive and and we should basically brace for impact? Uh, I think that it's it's something that Bucks fans should feel comfortable having their hopes up about going into 2020. And I know that that could potentially lead to disappointment. But when you look at all the tools that they have, their you know the way that they retooled that defense in terms of getting young talent there, as well as some veteran talent like uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. The big question is going to be who returns next year. JPP and Shaq Barrett, of course, free agents in the offseason. They still have some work to do in terms of the back end of the secondary in particular. But if they can address all of those and continue to build around the pieces that they've already started to incorporate into what is becoming a very talented defense, then that's going to be... Uh, something for Bucks fans to be excited about going into next season, particularly with Todd Bowles as the defensive coordinator. I know a lot of people like to rip on Todd Bowles because they associate him as the New York Jets uh, coach, head coach, but you have to look at him in the position that he's in. And he's been a successful defensive coordinator through the majority of his career in that position. That's some, that's a place where he has thrived. And so I love seeing all the pieces that they pull together. They have a clear leader and a guy like Devin White, who, of course, I'm personally invested in as an LSU fan. Uh, They have clear leadership along the defensive line as well, depending on if they're able to return a couple of those guys. But even big pieces like Vita Vea that are involved there, getting rid and moving on from a guy and making us what was really a smart decision in moving on from Gerald McCoy, somebody that I wanted the Saints to pursue, who ended up with another NFC South team instead in Carolina, who'll be a free agent this year. But just making educated decisions decisions on like, yes, look, this guy is a fantastic player and he's somebody that can contribute, but the relationship is a little sour and this isn't the type of, uh, this isn't the type of environment that we, we want to build within the locker room. Those are smart decisions. Those are the decisions that improving franchises make. So I like the direction that the defense is going. And I think that this off season, they have to do some work, but they should be able to maintain it depending upon how free agency goes. And I just mean free agency in terms of retaining the players that they know that they can rely on in that defense more than even just the extra pieces that they're able to bring in. Yeah. And Aaron, I mean, you got to see kind of the the end version of the Buccaneers defense uh, firsthand, obviously with that week 17 matchup and and Ross kind of went through there and mentioned a whole lot of key players and key positions that that contributed to that. Jason Pierre, Paul and Dom can sue Shaquille Barrett. I'm going to take Shaquille Barrett off the board just because Bruce Aarons has already come out and said that Shaq's not going anywhere. 
So if you're talking JPP and Dominican Sue, when you look at how the Buccaneers defense played against the Falcons there in week 17, uh, they forced a couple of turnovers on downs, forced they, they got a fumble uh, there, I think, midway through the game when things were still really tight. Which two of those players, if you had to pick one of them, and the Buccaneers are in a fortunate situation where they're expected to have around $90 million in cap space, so they can probably bring them both back if they really want to. But if you couldn't, if you had to pick one, which one as a Falcon, as somebody who covers the Falcons, which one is the bigger threat to the Falcons offense in your mind, JPP or Indomitian Sue? I would go with Sue uh, just because I think that having that presence up the middle where Sue has always been a force against the run, he's always been a solid sort of disruptor uh, in his ability to control the line of scrimmage. And I think when you have guys like Barrett uh, on the outside, and, you know, obviously they have Vita Vea, so it's not as if they're they're wanting there. But I think you want to sort of solidify that front in this Todd Bowles scheme when you look back at his days in New York where his all his defenses were, you know, at their best when they had guys like uh, Mo Wilkerson and uh, Sheldon Richardson and um, Leonard Williams all, you know, cooking uh, at the same time. And that's when their defense was sort of at its peak. And so I think if, of that group, if you're knowing that Barrett's going to be back, you know, I think Sue would probably be the second biggest priority in my eyes. And I think going up against the Falcons, where they have many of the major issues on their offensive line, particularly in the interior with center Alex Mack getting older and having a problem spot, sorry, a problem spot at the left guard position and a rookie at right guard, I think having a, a, a force like Sue in the middle, you know, sort of wreaking havoc alongside guys like Bay, I think makes a lot of sense. So that would be probably the guy that I would target. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, a, a lot of Buccaneers fans, you know, they have that attachment to JPP. He's only been there for a short amount of time, but man, he is, he has been a major impact on that defense. And I think both years that he's been in Tampa, everybody said if he had been here longer, he would be a captain. You know, he missed the first part of the season because of that neck injury. He suffered in the car accident and they were saying the same thing. If he had been here in, in camp in preseason, you know, not missing time because of that injury, he would have been a captain. Uh, his first year, a lot of people say he should have been a captain. Had he been on the team pre- previously, he would have been. So a lot of sentimental value, but also, I mean, production is there to support it. So it's not just, you know, fan favorite type of thing. Uh, but in Dominican Sue, like you said, he kind of he disrupts that front line and allows guys like Shaq Baird to get free. And I almost wonder and look at it, if if you can only keep one and you bring in Indomitian Sue back, uh, when you get, when we look at the draft, you got guys like Caleb on chase on, you got guys like AJ Epinesa. I know Javon Kinlaw has become kind of a fan favorite for a draft prospect in the first round, but it doesn't look like he's probably going to be there. If mocks are kind of going in the right direction, unless he bombs the combine, which of course we don't hope happens. All right. So Bill, um, I, my last question in this, in this segment of the show is, is actually for you. So Ross mentioned Gerald McCoy and what he calls the, the smart decision for the Buccaneers to move on from Gerald. And that's something that really most of us knew was, probably going to happen in february by the time the the combine came it was basically going to happen by the time we hit mid-march it was just a matter of when it was going to happen and one of the more i wouldn't say hot topic items but one of the more buzzworthy uh, events to happen at least within the buccaneers fan base was when cam newton was on camera put his arm around gerald mccoy and said one man's trash is another man's treasure and i would not go as far to call gerald mccoy buccaneers trash i don't think that's what was supposed to be implied by the way that everything went down with GMAC and the Buccaneers organization. But given the year that he had in Carolina, I know there were some ups and some downs because Buccaneers fans were paying attention. Um, do you do you consider Gerald McCoy closer on the, on the trash side of things without you know being disrespectful or more on the treasure side of things 
And do you think that the, do you now having had him on your own team that you cover for a year, believe that the Buccaneers made the right decision or do you think they would have been better off keeping Gerald McCoy? Yeah, I'm not going to go as far as say they're tr- he's trash. I mean, he can still be kind of a serviceable player, but I do think uh, the Buccaneers made the right decision in moving on from him because, you know, like you said, he was definitely up and down in Carolina. I don't expect him back in Carolina next season because he's scheduled to be a free agent and the Panthers just need a lot of youth on that defensive line. They they really, you know, they need, you know, youth and help kind of almost everywhere, especially on the defensive front. So, you know, McCoy wasn't bad, but I don't think he was really what Panthers fans were kind of hoping when they signed him because it's like, oh, the Panthers signed Gerald McCoy. Like, yes, this is what the defense needs, and this defense is going to be strong, and we're going to be great, and well, it didn't work out so much because uh, that defense, especially the run defense, wound up being <laughs> the run defense was historically bad. And unfortunately, Gerald McCoy was a part of it. So, like I said, I'm not going to sit here and say he's trash because, I mean, he's still a guy that, you know, you can plug in this kind of a rotational piece. But the fact of the matter is he's, he is getting up there in age. He's about 30 years old. You know, he's not somebody that you're going to shell up big contracts to anymore. Uh, and I think at this point he just wants to, to go to a contender. I think that was one reason why he chose Carolina. He thought Carolina could be a contender this season. And yeah, bottom line, I think that's what McCoy's going to do because he's kind of ring chasing at this point. So, you know, unfortunately it just didn't pan out with Carolina, but and the breaks, I guess, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. And, and yeah, I, I like the way you put that. And, and that's the thing, too. I think that a lot of a lot of Buccaneers fans, I was one of the guys who supported the Buccaneers moving on from Gerald McCoy. And I think so was James, if memory serves correctly. And, and a lot of fans, you know, kind of took that as, as as a sign of disrespect or something it just is what it is and i think that's at, in carolina it was what was interesting to me is when he went there uh, he, you know he did an interview and, and the big takeaway a lot of people took from that interview was his kind of complaining whatever you want to call it commenting on the fact that the buccaneers were going to allow and Sue to wear number 93 um, but the really the big draw that i took from it was him saying that going to carolina he can be a teammate. He can be a role player. He can be part of the system instead of a leader of the system. He's not going to be like the star, you know, the marquee player that's expected to carry the load. And then he comes out with the C on his chest. And I kind of feel like those two things don't jive. You know, uh, if you got a C on your chest, you're not really the role player. Um, so it was, it was kind of interesting to see how that uh, mentality kind of uh, the, the contrast between what happened in the locker room, apparently being selected to be a captain. Um, but yeah, I, I think I agree with you, Bill, as far as he's probably going to be moving off Carolina, probably outside the division. And, you know, that story is going to fade away uh, amongst other things. But guys, I think we're to the point. Um, and Aaron, I want to start with you, Jameis Winston. So there's a decision to be made. Uh, I'm happy. I don't have to make it. I'm happy. My career, my paycheck doesn't rely on me making the right one because it's a tough one. But do you keep Jameis? If you keep him, do you tag him or do you resign him? And then if you don't keep him, who are you bringing in in his place uh, to, to to take this team to the playoffs? Well, I, I think the Bucs are, are kind of stuck in a, in a tough situation because they're picking, what, like 14th in the draft? Um, and it's one of those things where you're not really in prime position unless you really want to package a bunch of future first-round picks to move up and potentially select some of the top players. And, you know, you, you talked about it, maybe someone like the Jordan Love falls to you or, or whatever the case may be. Maybe you take Jacob Eason in, in round two. So I feel like if the Bucks were picking in the top, you know, seven or eight picks, I, I would have a very different answer to this question. But I, I kind of feel like 
keeping Jameis on a franchise tag, you know, whether that's 20 million or, or whatever the price tag is, is kind of the lesser of two evils. You got good Jameis, you got bad Jameis. Maybe you hope that in a second year under Bruce Arians, you know, cussing him out or whatever Bruce Arians does as the quarterback whisperer gets him to sort of cut back on it. You know, again, we're, we're five years into Jamison's career. We've been hearing about him cutting back on the turnovers every single season. He hasn't really done it. And in fact, this year was th- the worst one yet. So it's, it's kind of a, a tough pill to swallow. But I, again, I think the situation is that I don't know if you're necessarily really going to get a significant upgrade in free agency or in the draft picking where they are. So I, I kind of feel like you kind of roll the dice with Jameis for one more year, and hopefully you're in a better position draft-wise or free agency-wise to potentially scoop up a, a better option. I don't know if you really want to get into the Philip Rivers or, or Tom Brady sweepstakes this offseason. I don't feel like that's really doing moving the needle that much. Okay. And, and Bill, let's go to you. What are your, what are your thoughts on Jameis and how the Buccaneers should handle his future? Yeah, that's the, uh, the question of the offseason. That's the question of the offseason is what do you do with Jameis Winston? Um, and I think the intriguing thing about Winston, or actually I should say about the Buccaneers, is that because you're in, because this is the last year of the CBA, you can actually use both transition, or, uh, excuse me, use franchise tax and the transition tax. So I think the situation that the Buccaneers should find themselves in is do they franchise tag Jameis Winston and transition tag Shaquille Barrett? Do they flip it? What's the direction they go in? I personally wouldn't, uh, would not tra- tag Jameis Winston. I still believe, and we actually kind of talked about this off air. Um, Philip Rivers, I think, is certainly a possibility for the Buccaneers because we already know now that the Chargers have already said, yeah, Rivers isn't coming back. Um, Winston is another guy that I think is ring chasing, and we know that really just got to fix the quarterback position. And I think the running back position, and I think you have a really good offense there in Tampa Bay. So I shy away from Jameis Winston because, yeah, 5,000 yards is nice, 30 touchdowns is nice, but it all circles back to those 30 interceptions, and I am a little skeptical of that, especially in a uh, in a Bruce Arians offense where you're just going to constantly chuck it. So I personally, well, I personally would move on. What I think the Bucks are going to do, man, they're tough because – you know, it's like you guys mentioned, they're in a tough spot as, as far as the draft goes. It's possible that Jordan Love is already going to be drafted. I've heard some rumblings that Jacob Eason could potentially be in the mix there. So I think, uh, I don't know, I, I feel like they're in kind of a purgatory situation right now where, it's, you know, you're, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, if you know what I mean. They're, they're, they're in such a tough spot right now. But, um, I mean, yeah, I... I I think Philip Rivers is going to be a target. I know everyone's going to want to claim, oh, Tom Brady or Drew Brees. It's like, no, those guys aren't going anywhere. I think the best option would be uh, Drew Brees. If not, maybe someone like Marcus Mariota could be an option as well. So I, I think they've got some options, but uh, it's going to be tough. Yeah, definitely. And then, and then, Ross, what are your thoughts on the Jameis Winston saga? Well, I'm not really sure why we're even having this conversation because as Jameis Winston said, he's balling. He is balling oh, and geez. everything is fine. No, no. But I, I mean, honestly, like clearly you sign him to a seven year deal and keep him in Tampa mm-hmm. Bay. Yeah. Uh, no, but I think honestly, like for me, it's, I, I move on from Jameis. I think of Jameis as a liability. 
uh, for the team. And it was kind of as I believe it was Bill who said it that, you know, we've heard or maybe it was Aaron that we've heard every year that, you know, the turnover problem was going to get better and everything. And like and, and, you know, I know I just gave Bruce Arians a lot of credit, but I'm going to give Bruce Arians a lot of credit on another guy that he selects as his guy, which I don't think has to be Jameis Winston. And I get that, you know, at 14, you're probably not going to be able to land a guy like Jordan Love if you stand pat. But it's always an interesting thing to me because, you know, I cover an organization that every year is trading future picks to get, you know, an edge rusher or a uh, a wide receiver. And I don't see an issue at all with a team like the Bucks saying, you know, Jordan Love's the guy that we want. We'll give up this pick and, you know, some other to move up to, you know, within the just outside of the top 10 to get ahead of Indianapolis at 13 and things like that. And so I don't see that as an impossibility if he's still on the board at, you know, 11 or 12 to or 10 to be able to kind of move up. And then pretty much anything after that Panthers pick at seven, if the Panthers were to stand pat as well. And so I could definitely see the Bucks, especially with Bruce Arians, you know, being the guy that's running this team, running this offense, uh, you're going to want to, he's going to want to mobilize and he's going to want to go and get his guy. And that's when I give him the credit as the quarterback guru, when he can go get the guy that he wants and then develop that person that he handpicked to be the person to turn over and hand the keys to the Ferrari, essentially for the, uh, the Bucks offense or the, the Ferrari that the Bucks offense can be with the right uh, signal caller under center. So for me, it, it's pretty clear and I'm pretty uh, upfront about the idea that I think that the best option for the Bucks is to move on from Jameis Winston and go and get the guy that Bruce Arians wants, whether it's Jordan Love or otherwise, you know, if it's somebody in free agency, then sure. But I, to me, think that that's the best. But, you know, coming from it as a, you know, from the Saints perspective, go ahead and keep Jameis Winston as as long as they want. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you feel that way. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I mean, think I, everybody in this division, all the fans, no, I actually feel the opposite, guys. You guys don't oh, feel really? Winston lights yeah. up the Falcons. Jameis actually says oh, that's right. Against Atlanta. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Aaron's like, get him out of there. <laughs> yeah. I will happily take Jordan Love uh, for the short term. <laughs> so yeah i mean you guys made a lot of good points and franchising Jameis, i think in, in a vacuum franchising him is probably your best bet because he does have a lot of upside but he's also got a lot of problems so getting that one year even though it is a pretty expensive price tag 26 27 million dollars depending on how it actually shakes out um is a lot of money you know for a one-year deal but it gives you a better it gives you that sixth year to figure out if Jameis is actually going to make good on what he says but like you said bill um, Shaq Barrett really plays a really big role into that. And if Shaq Barrett wasn't in the situation he was coming off of leading the league in sacks, uh, should have been defensive player of the year. Don't at me. Um, I feel like this is a different situation, but with Shaq Barrett, until he resigns, if he resigns, I think that franchise tag is being held in reserve for him, which only leaves the transition tag for Jameis. And if Jameis goes out there on a transition tag and finds a team even willing to pay him 28, I, I don't think the Bucks match. And I think that Jameis is gone. And then looking at some of these these free agent options like Philip Rivers, um, I don't. My gut, and this is not any type of information, but my gut doesn't say that Rivers is 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 a is a fit with Tampa Bay. But it doesn't mean it, that I I could be wrong. Marcus Mariota, uh, Ross, you brought up Marcus. If Marcus Mariota comes to Tampa, like the city might burn down. Like half the the group that wanted to draft Marcus in the first place is going to burn it down celebrating. And then the half that wants the Bucks to keep James is going to burn it down out of anger. So Tampa might just burn to the ground and Marcus Mariota get signed. Uh, Jacob Eason in the first. I don't know about you guys, but that, that screams 
Dwayne Haskins in the first to me. It's like such a mm-hmm. desperation draft pick. Um, so, and no, nothing against Jacob. I just, I feel like you're a day two guy. So if the Bucks are going to take you, I, I really feel like it's a day two thing, especially at pick 14. I mean, maybe a trade back, get some more draft capital, maybe go to like 25 and take him at 25. Okay, we can deal. But other than that, it just feels like a desperation move. And then talking about the cycle of turnovers, uh, you guys mentioned it, you know, the years and years of hearing Jameis talk about, I know I got to get better. I know I got to protect the ball. I can't make those decisions. You know what it reminds me of, guys? It reminds me of the emotional cycle of abuse where you just, you get abused, the apology, the honeymoon phase, the buildup, and then the abuse happens again. And that's kind of where I'm at with Jameis Winston. I don't know where the Buccaneers are at with all that, but all really good things. And here's the final question I want to ask you guys pertaining to Jameis Winston. Um, so, so Bill, we'll go back to you real quick. Cam Newton's gone. Kyle Allen, who is who Kyle Allen is. Jameis Winston's on the free agent market. These other quarterbacks are expected to be there. Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Ryan Tannehill, uh, Marcus Mariota. They're all there. Do you sign Jameis Winston over any of those guys? I wouldn't touch him if I'm the Panthers. Um, you need that. You're going to need that salary cap space at some point for some of these other players. Namely, if they decide to pull the trigger on this contract, Christian McCaffrey. Because of course, that's mm-hmm. going to be kind of the other big story: is do they give Christian McCaffrey that big extension? I, if I'm the Panthers, I would not touch Jameis Winston with a ten foot football. If, if you're if you're going to consider Jameis Winston, then you might as well just keep uh, Cam Newton. And I know we were talking about if Cam Newton's gone. Uh, in that sense, I would not touch. Jameis Winston. I'd rather go after someone, even if they have to bring in someone like Marcus Mariota, you know, and they, you know, they'd have to fix up the offensive line no matter what, but maybe Joe Brady can, uh, can work with a guy like Mariota kind of work out his kinks, you know, cause the Panthers, the Panthers are in such a tough spot too, with figuring out who the quarterback is going to be and, and what their future is. But I, I don't know. It, it just feels like, it would almost be a lateral move if they go with, with Jameis Winston. I know the name value is there, and I know, you know, it would obviously be a potential uptick in, you know, passing yards and, and things like that for this offense. But, again, just with those interceptions, it almost feels like you're just you're just kind of staying the course because you kind of already had that with Kyle Allen, Will Greer, and all the interceptions they threw. So I really don't know how much this offense would improve if, they were to go after Jameis Winston. So, yeah, I I really don't think he should be an option for a rebuilding team like the Panthers. I think he's more of like a middle-of-the-pack team that maybe thinks they can do something with him and maybe maybe they can be like, okay, we can try to coach him up and work out some of these kinks and get him where we thought he was going to be five years ago or over the last five years and – you know, get over some kind of, I don't know what kind of hump they would try to get over with Jameis Winston. <laughs> they, they certainly ain't getting over a Super Bowl hump. But, you know, bottom line is it only takes one team. It only takes one team to fall in love with a player. We talked about this during the draft, and, you know, we'll talk about it here. It only takes one team. I just don't think that team is going to be a terrible <laughs> answer. <laughs> I, yeah. I will be absolutely stunned if they are. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense. And, and Ross, uh, let's same question to you. Let's say Drew Brees decides to hang it up. Teddy Bridgewater loves New Orleans, but he says, "You know what? I'm going to hit the open market. I'm going to see what the rest of the league has to offer me." Where do you rank Jameis Winston among possible free agent signings uh, for for the New Orleans Saints if it were to come to that? Uh, I think that, and as much as I talk about Taysom Hill not being the answer for the Saints, I think that the Saints would be more willing to figure that out and take a chance to learn that 
than they would be to sign Jameis Winston. Um, if there is one thing that Sean Payton hates more than fire alarms that won't stop going off in opposing teams, uh, in opposing teams locker rooms is turnovers, uh, turnovers of, uh, of any kind. We've seen him bench, um, Mark Ingram in the past when he, you know, fumbles, we've seen him uh, make some pretty, pretty staunch statements about uh, players and their turnover problems and things like that. And so that's not something that you see from the Saints offense very much. In fact, they just led the, they just actually set an NFL record for the fewest turnovers in the NFL, uh, in NFL history uh, this past season, I believe with only eight turnovers uh, for the season. And so to, essentially go through an entirely an entire philosophical change at that point to come from that in 2019 to a Jameis Winston led offensive attack in 2020 would just be a little bit too much of a far cry for me to expect and for me to believe would be the case. So I don't think that Jameis Winston would be on the Saints radar at all, even if the Saints weren't to, you know, have Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, or in some, for some reason, you know, somebody matches or offers a tender that the Saints don't want to match on uh, Taysom Hill's RFA. Then I think that in that case, the Saints would, probably turn to the draft and then just be as aggressive as they usually are in the draft to make a move up and get the guy that they want. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So Aaron, uh, let's, let's see what you had to say. Matt Ryan, Andrew Lux, the Atlanta Falcons and uh, retires freeing up all that cap space that he's, he's holding on to. What, uh, what do you think? Where do you put Jameis Winston on your list of targets for the Falcons? If that happens? Well, um, you know, if, if that circumstance were to come true, um, I think the Falcons would be interested in Jameis, um, if only to see if they can get the mojo that he has for two games a year out of him for 16 games a year. And again, in this hypothetical scenario uh, that has a, a million to one chance or, you know, I guess I should knock on wood before saying that <laughs> of, of, of happening. I think the Falcons at that point in time would be pretty desperate. And given that the team is in a win now mode and, um, Dirk Cutter has worked with Jameis Winston. Yeah, I think he would be near the top of their list if, if they couldn't get a veteran like a Tom Brady or a Phillip Rivers. Yeah, I think Jameis Winston might be, you know, number three on their list of, of quarterbacks um, in terms of trying to replace Matt Ryan in, in this scenario where Matt Ryan just ghosts them in the offseason and tired of getting hit and just like, I'm done. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think Jameis Winston would actually be pretty high. So, you would at least, David, get to see Jameis Winston at least two more times uh, in the future. Uh, oh, man. Jameis Winston in a Falcons uniform playing in Dirk Cutter's offense against the Buccaneers would be a sight to see. And a, very, that- very, and a very, very welcome one in New Orleans as well, by the way. <laughs> Everyone would love that. I'm, I'm sure they would. And I ask that question because I often find that, like, looking from the outside, right? So I, I go back to when the rumors were surfacing that the Baltimore Ravens may be getting sick of John Harbaugh and be looking to move on from him as their head coach. And how many media markets and fan bases immediately just shot through Twitter, shot through the social media roof and said, bring John Harbaugh to our team. You know, basically everybody outside of like New Orleans and New England was like, bring John Harbaugh over to our team. And I just looked at it. I was like, if you're the Baltimore Ravens, look at how much attention your coach is getting from the thought of you firing him and going to somewhere else like that should show you kind of what you have and maybe you're too close to it you're not uh, you know appreciating it as much and obviously they decided to keep him which I think turned out to be a really good decision with them making as far as they did into the postseason so I look at Jameis Winston in that same light and how many teams 
or how many markets would really be clamoring for their team to bring on a guy like Jameis Winston if they were in need of a quarterback. And I think that kind of helps you measure from the outside uh, just how valuable Jameis Winston might be and, and what his worth might be. So not a not a total you know evaluation of the player by any means, but just kind of an interesting exercise. So guys, uh, I think it's going to wrap up our conversation about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, if you have any last thoughts, share them share them with the guys, and then of course throw out your social media information and where our, our listeners can find you guys. Uh, no last thoughts for me. This was a lot of fun, y'all. Always, always, always love getting to do this, and this is such an exciting opportunity to be able to do this all week. So thanks so much for taking the time, and of course, everybody, you can find me on Locked On Saints as well as on Twitter at Ross Jackson ASC. Thanks so much for listening. I'll say uh, this is Aaron Freeman. You can find me on Twitter at Falk Fans. Of course, hosting the Locked On Falcons podcast. And I will say, David, when you mentioned Jordan Reed's mock draft where he had the Bucks taking an offensive tackle, I would certainly champion that because you probably, you guys probably don't know. I got into a little bit of a, a Twitter spat with Donovan Smith a, a year or so ago. And okay. so, uh, you know, I just want to hit get the last laugh if the Bucks wind up drafting <laughs> an offensive tackle. I know, you know, they would wind up putting that guy probably at right tackle given DeMar Dotson's potential departure but mm-hmm. eventually he'll probably take over donovan smith's job and you know whether it's three years from now I, at least i can dunk on that guy on twitter mm. uh, all right we'll see we'll see uh let me just say quick i think it might be safe to say that the buccaneers and their fans would probably be happy if they didn't play any more games in london yes after that wonderful performance but uh, i am of course locked on panthers on twitter at villains scorsetti uh of course doing some college basketball stuff as well, getting ready for the tournament, as I said before. Uh, A little surprising that Kansas is number two overall right now, but I mean, it's only February, so plenty of time left, but always a fun time. And yeah, Panthers wire, Bengals wire, pro football network, all that fun stuff. So uh, yeah, fun times. This has been a fun week so far. And oh boy, it's my turn tomorrow. Yay. (laughs) Everybody buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> looking forward to it let me also I, I actually i do have one last thing that bill reminded me of uh i'm going to be petitioning this offseason for a friendly home schedule for the bucks uh, in oh, 2020 uh yeah. fix it nfl fix it greatly appreciate it. james and i have been on record we have volunteered to do that job for half the salary whatever they're paying the person who did it last year so i'm we're willing to sacrifice that time and take you know a little bit of of, of uh payment for it but not as much as they were given uh, but yeah, great stuff, guys. Appreciate you, of course. And most of our listeners, most listeners of this episode know who I am. Uh, David Harrison, writer over at BucksNation.com, one of the hosts of the Locked on Bucks podcast at Twitter or on Twitter at DH82 underscore Bucks. This is going to wrap up third episode of our ultimate divisional crossover week. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Bill, like you said, tomorrow we'll be back at it again with our conversation about the Carolina Panthers. Until then, thank you so much for joining us on the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.